Welcome to Season 2 of the Mindful Literacy Podcast with your host, Dr. Jessica Bennett. Our mission is to provide one-on-one and small group literacy tutoring to children with dyslexia or who are at risk for reading failure. One of the driving forces behind creating Mindful Literacy Columbus was a social justice focus. We want to make needed education services accessible to all. The board is in the process of researching social determinants of health, such as family income, access to community-based resources, social support, language and literacy, and access to information. It is our vision to create a center where children can have access to high-quality tutoring, irrespective of family income. In our mind's eye, this center would also be a place where adults can study our written language together and where parents can find support. Listener support is paramount to how much we are able to support kids in our community. Thank you so much for your support. Here are three ways you can get involved with Mindful Literacy Columbus. You can share this podcast and you can like and follow Mindful Literacy Columbus on Facebook and Instagram. Pause this podcast right now and go like and follow before you forget. Our Facebook is mindful.literacy.columbus. Our Instagram is mindful.literacy.cbus. Make sure to share posts to your feed and tag your friends. You can also volunteer. There are four opportunities to volunteer with Mindful Literacy Columbus. Even if you don't live in Columbus, first, you could join the Grant Writers Guild. Writers are needed. Second, you can join our summer camp in August. Counselors are needed. Third, we need volunteers for our first annual conference for kids and grown-ups. Even coordinators are needed. This event will be held in August. Finally, you can volunteer to be a mentor and editor for Beehive Press. We especially need high school and college-age volunteers who enjoy studying English or graphic design. If you would like more information about volunteering, please send us a message on Facebook or Instagram. You can also email our Director of Impact at Megan, that is M-E-G-H-A-N, at mindfulliteracypractice.org. Thanks again for your support. And we hope you enjoy this episode of the Mindful Literacy Podcast. The Childhood Collective is made up of two child psychologists, Dr. Lori Long and Dr. Mallory Yee, and a speech-language pathologist, Katie Severson. Most importantly, they are three moms who are dedicated to supporting parents of children with ADHD, anxiety, and learning and language differences. With over 40 years of combined professional experience, the Childhood Collective empowers parents by teaching science-backed strategies to help their children thrive. Childhood Collective, welcome to the Mindful Literacy Podcast. Thanks for having us. Thank you. I'm so excited to have you on today because I think it was somewhere around a year ago when I first started an Instagram account and I 
I didn't know what I was doing and I really still don't, but I, I think you were some of the first people that I engaged with. And I was just so happy to have colleagues who were looking at some of the same problems that I was and trying to reach out and build community and help parents and help. I feel like as a teacher, you've You've certainly helped me and also as a parent. But the content that you put out is so high quality and it's so beautiful. And congratulations on you guys have a huge following and you've just put out your first course. And so I'm just really grateful that you took the time out of your busy lives, momming and taking care of other people's children to talk with us today. Yes, thank you. Yes, we're so happy to be here. Would you please all introduce yourselves just so we can start getting a voice ID on who's talking and maybe just give a brief intro? Yeah, I'll go ahead and start. I'm I'm Lori Long and I am a child psychologist and I have a private practice here in Scottsdale, Arizona. And I mostly do testing for kids with learning disabilities and ADHD and autism spectrum disorders. My name is Mallory Yee, and I am also a child psychologist, but currently more stay-at-home mom than child psychologist. About two years ago, I quit my job to stay home with my two boys and did that for about a year before we started up the Childhood Collective. So kind of a stay-at-home mom, kind of a work-from-home mom now. And I'm Katie Severson. I'm a speech-language pathologist, and I'm a speech-language pathologist, and I am in private practice as well. I do some therapy. I do a lot of testing, and I work with psychologists, so I really like to be part of the differential diagnosis, looking at reading skills and social language and attention and how that all comes together. So the three of us all got connected quite some time ago. We, Lori and I actually shared a nanny for a while um, when our two oldest girls were young. And then um, we actually all have overlapped at the same private practice at various times. And that's kind of how we all met. Awesome. And it looks like you guys are having so much fun together on this journey. Yes, absolutely. Great. I want to just start off by maybe focusing our conversation because it seems like some most of your content as of late has been related to ADHD. And we know so many kids who have this to one degree or another. And I think a lot of parents often wonder, does my kid have ADHD? You know, focus the conversation on that particular disability and maybe some things that parents and teachers can do to help kids grow into their own when they have an ADHD brain. Sounds great. Yes. So one of the things that really brought us together as the Childhood Collective was a need for really evidence-based information for parents. And when you go through Instagram, there's so much information out there. And sometimes I think parents get overwhelmed and we see it in our own practices. Kids are getting diagnoses of ADHD all the time. And when they are given a diagnosis like autism, it's a lot more clear kind of what the steps are for that. And even within the school capacity, if they have issues with math or writing or reading. It's just a pretty clear path. You know, this child needs this level of support um, and this is the best setting to do that. Where ADHD is a little more ambiguous and a lot of kids are going to go on to like a 504 plan um, rather than an IEP. And parents can just feel really overwhelmed because what's out there right now for like 
parenting typical kids isn't always functional for them. And so our goal was really to provide just evidence-based practice and really break it down for parents in a way that they can absorb it and hopefully, you know, implement it like one step at a time. We all have a passion for kids with ADHD. I know some of us have a lot of ADHD even like running in our families. And so it really just is a passion project from here. And so, yeah, that's definitely been a huge goal. And then we recently released a course for parents about ADHD. And so absolutely, our content has kind of geared towards that. And then as you obviously know, there's a huge overlap with reading issues and anxiety and those kinds of things too. So we kind of mix it all in together. Yeah, I think too, one of the things, the first thing I noticed was the high quality content that you're putting out. And the other thing I think that's been really beneficial is dovetailed with inspiration and really just uh, reassurance to parents that they're doing everything okay. You know, the, the post about, you know, there's no right way to parent. And especially because every kid is so different and every kid with ADHD is so different. It's just really empowering and it's really refreshing. I think that is another goal of ours is to kind of provide this mindset shift for parents because parents that are raising kids with ADHD are getting a lot of feedback about their parenting. They're getting a lot of feedback about their child's behavior. And the message that they receive is that they're not parenting right and that their child is difficult or challenging or naughty. So I think a big piece of what we're hoping to do is kind of shift that mindset for parents that ADHD isn't caused by bad parenting. Their child is not bad. Their child is not naughty. Their child has has to be parented than parented differently than your average child. They oftentimes kids with ADHD lack the skills to not be challenging. So we have to think about how can we build their skills? How can we help them get their needs met? Because again, it's not that it's not that you're a bad parent. It's not that your child is just naughty. We just have to find a new way to help them get their needs met, help them learn new skills, help them succeed at home and at school. So again, coming back to like a goal of ours is to help with that mindset shift for parents because that's not the message that they're getting from their family, from their friends, from strangers in the grocery store. They're getting the opposite message often. Right. And I think probably getting that message from their self too, when you're, you know, you're trying things that aren't working and it can feel really defeating sometimes. So even changing their own feedback loops and their positive talk, which is what I picked up on in your, in some of your posts and some of the conversations that you're having. I love that they're not naughty and that's a fun play on words in and of itself, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) This episode is brought to you by Mindful Literacy Practice. Mindful Literacy Practice is the sister company to Mindful Literacy Columbus. We are a private tutoring and professional development company whose mission is to build a strong learning community that cultivates literacy and mindfulness practices with children, their families, and their teachers. Frequent and consistent tutoring is the key to fluency growth, no matter where your child is on the learning continuum, from special education to gifted education and everywhere in between. All elementary kids need to practice oral reading fluency and math facts. Mindful Literacy Practice offers affordable, high-quality, 
evidence-based methodology combined with precision teaching data tracking in both reading and math. For just 10 minutes a session, three to five days a week, it is not uncommon for us to see fluency rates double in the course of 10 to 12 weeks. Want to improve the speed in which your child can read and or do math facts? Mindful literacy fluency programs. Improve what you measure. Practice, measure, improve, repeat. Listeners of this podcast can use code FLUENCY50 for their first registration. MindfulLiteracyPractice.org forward slash fluency forward So talk to me about, and I'm thinking too, like, yeah, this, the inferences that you get from family members or like you said, strangers in the grocery store, like it's maybe not necessarily people telling you that you're doing a bad job, but it's maybe like, it's the vibrations they're putting out and the facial expressions and what have you. So do you have any tips for parents when they catch themselves in that moment of feeling like, and I think especially having toddlers, I mean, we've all been there where you're in that moment, like, oh my gosh, I'm so embarrassed. What do I do now? Do I go for like the life lesson or just put the fire out? Yeah, I think, again, just we try and tell parents to stay calm as much as possible. And if you can keep your calm, then you're going to help your child keep their calm. You know, knowing that, and I think having that understanding of, you know, what to expect from a child with ADHD and knowing that, you know, tantrums happen and it's not your fault. And it's not their fault either. It just happens and trying not to react in a big way over it. And also being patient with yourself. You know, all of us as parents like have been at the grocery store and had our kid tantrum and have given them something to just get it over with and get out of there. It happens to all of us, child psychologists or not. So all of us are going to do things that maybe aren't like the best thing long-term, but that's okay. You know, sometimes you're in a situation where you know, you just can't manage behaviors and be okay with that. And we're not always going to make the best decisions. I think another piece of it too, from my perspective, this is Katie um, with the speech and language side is really looking at what are those situations where your child might struggle. And we really encourage parents to look at, you know, almost like changing the environment or changing the situation before those hard moments come up. And we have a lot of really kind of tangible tips and tricks on our Instagram. They're even more kind of consolidated in our course, but really like, for example, um, I have a four and a six-year-old and I really do use a little visual schedule, not all day and not every day, but for the hard parts of my kid's day, which happens to be bedtime, they really do not want to go to bed. They're having really a lot of fun. And so I, you know, I use visual schedules in my job all the time. And I actually brought one home and, you know, we built it together. And so it's like, I need to kind of anticipate those moments. Absolutely. Give myself all the grace when the schedule goes out the window and I'm just grumpy and it's a hard night, but also really helping empower parents. I think there's, again, a lot of advice out there and they're like, I don't know what's going to work for my kid. And so really just thinking through like, what are those problem times and those those problem areas. I think that can be really powerful, you know, whether it's just small shifts, like setting things near the door that you need to remember or giving an extra buffer of time, really using a lot of like visuals and tactile supports, like things your kids can touch and actually manipulate, whether that's like a clock they can move. We love the time timer clock, but anything that makes noise, that's just really going to help externalize those concepts for them. You know, kids with 
ADHD struggle with executive functioning, and that's not a behavior, that's a brain-based difference. And so as parents, we can think about like, how can we set them up for success in this situation? And that's something that a good psychologist or speech-language pathologist can help with and work on those executive functions. But our goal on Instagram too is just to provide that general resource of education so that it's not, it's like pulling back the curtain, I guess, and showing just little snippets of things that we try. Not every, it's not going to work for every child every day, but giving them some tools there can be really helpful. Yeah, that's resonating a lot with me because I think in the mindfulness space and in the yoga space, we purposefully practice shifting perspective. And so it's almost like as the parent, you have to step outside of yourself and get a third person view of what's going on. And so that you can objectively try to figure out what the patterns are. And then the next step is, I would say as a teacher, it's really hard for me to figure out those patterns with my own kids sometimes. Like it's, you can't see the forest from the trees. You can like tease that out and then consult with somebody. Okay, here's the pattern I noticed. Now what do I do? I feel like that's like half the battle. I think it's hard too for those of us listening that are teachers or professionals. There's like almost this expectation of like, I should know how to manage this. And almost like when my child has a behavior, like if I see someone in the grocery store, that example that Lori gave, my immediate thought is like all the sympathy to that parent. Like I am not judging them in the least bit, but when it is my kid having that meltdown, I am the first to judge myself. Like, oh my gosh, this is totally a reflection of me. I should know how to handle this. And I think that's huge is like really recognizing like it is so different when it's your own child. And that's giving yourself a lot of grace for that. And I'm not naturally a calm person. Mallory is definitely a really calm person. I feel like I've learned a lot from her just since doing this and the Childhood Collective. And a lot of what you'll read in our stuff, if it's about calm, is is from Mallory. And so I, I feel like I've just learned so much from her, but I will tell my kids now, like, I'm going to stay calm. I'm going to try to stay really calm. And my four-year-old will tell me, he'll say, mommy, I need some calm. (laughs) And he'll ask for my calm. And it is not natural to me. Like I am just, I'm real high energy, go, go, go. And so I'm learning that too, but it's, it's different because in a therapy session, I would be really calm, but not within my own family. So it's definitely just a learning process for all of us. Katie, I'm the exact same way. I am the exact same way when I'm teaching. I'm so calm and my voice is quiet and I have the patience of Job. But (laughs) I think it's like the emotions that are tied up into mothering kind of just compound compound something. But yeah, it is. It's a practice. And I think it does take a tremendous amount of grace. Yes. For yourself. So that's a good point. What your child does after high school is one of the most exciting and most important decisions they will make, but it's also one of the most stressful. This decision not only impacts their future, but a college education costs about the equivalent of a house these days. Student loan debt is a trillion dollar problem. And to make things even more confusing, there are thousands of schools out there and hundreds of things to study. How is your child supposed to know what's right for them? We're here to help. We are in the College Planning Experts. Our college planning advisors work one-on-one with your team to help them discover their very best path, taking all their special circumstances, wants, and needs into account. Whether your child is an athlete or has learning differences, our advisors are trained to help your child chart their very best educational path towards their brightest future. 
We've helped more than a thousand students find the very best path and have saved their families more than $60 million in higher education costs. Let us do the same for your family. Visit incollegeplanning.com to learn more. Okay, so I was wondering if what you've come across in your research on, I've noticed patterns with kids who have ADHD, the emotional component, and I think that's probably, and psychologists can speak to this, but is it part of the executive functioning part of the brain with the emotional regulation? It seems like sometimes there's just really wide extremes of emotions. Yes, absolutely. Although kind of the emotional impulsivity, the big emotions are not part of the diagnostic criteria, almost every family that walks through our door and ends up with a diagnosis for their child of ADHD is reporting to us a concern with their emotion regulation. Kind of those emotions are going from zero to 60 in no time flat, little things set off big emotions that seem out of proportion for the stressor or the situation. So this is something that we hear from almost all parents. And again, it's not part of the diagnostic criteria, but anecdotally, this is something that children with ADHD struggle with. And as you mentioned, Jessica, it comes back to the executive functioning skills, the ability to kind of go with the flow and inhibit impulsive responses. So kind of like their knee-jerk reaction to any little stressor, again, can kind of be out of proportion to the stressor that they're presented with. So it does come back to how their brain is working and where it is developmentally. And again, it's not that your child is naughty. It's coming back to how their brain is actually functioning, and it's harder for them to control those emotions. So they need more than your average child. They need a lot more practice, and they need a lot more grace from their parents and learning how to do this, which of course is challenging for parents. Yeah. And so what do you recommend for that? I mean, obviously when they're in a heightened state of emotion in the moment, coaching doesn't always work. And so do you do social stories? Do you debrief when the the moment has passed and how much time do you give? Prevention is the most important thing that we can do here. Outside of the moment of big emotions, we want to be talking with our kids about, we want to be talking with them about emotions. We have to talk about all the different emotions. We have to give them words to go with the emotions. We have to equip them with strategies for when those big emotions do come. So teaching, teaching our children ways to relax their body. So we have to be doing a lot of work on the front end, equipping them with kind of basically emotional literacy understanding their emotions, how their body changes when they feel different feelings and what they can do about that, such as using relaxation strategies or mindfulness tools for when those big rushes do come. We're also big fans of something called emotion coaching. Um, This comes from the work of Dr. John Gottman. It's all about, and we talk about this a lot on our social media, all feelings are allowed. Children with ADHD have big feelings, and that's okay. We're not trying to keep our child from experiencing emotions. And actually, that's something that's so great about kids with ADHD is they're so passionate, and they live life big, (laughs) experiencing big emotions. And that's great, and all feelings are allowed, but how we handle them is what matters. So coming back to the emotion coaching piece, part of that is recognizing emotions in your children, recognizing the emotions in yourself, allowing the emotion, not trying to 
fix the emotion for your child, but letting it be and kind of coaching them through it by labeling the emotion and then facilitating and problem solving once they're at a place where they can engage in problem solving. Usually in the moment of that heightened emotion, that's not the time for us to try to, you know, talk and reason through it. It's kind of after the fact, once things have calmed down, that we can actually start to process through that. We hear a lot from families, like, what do I do when my child goes from zero to zero to 100 immediately? And a lot of times, you know, our focus is really on not what to do when this happens, but what do we do to keep that from happening? So we're all about looking at when those big emotions happen, you know, trying to look for patterns for when that happens and then developing like clear expectations, clear behavioral expectations in those situations. So our kids know what to expect. If we're talking about screens and we see lots of big emotions when a screen is shut off, like making sure that we have a plan for screen time. We've gone over that with our kids that they have buy-in in that. They've, you know, created the plan with us. And so they know what to expect. You've reviewed that with them. And also introducing rewards when our kids do manage those emotions and times when they're more likely to have difficulty. Ooh, the screen time in my house is a huge one. <laughs> I think it is for a lot of us. <laughs> scary sometimes this like when it's time to turn off the screen. <laughs> Can you just talk a little bit because I loving this conversation, listening to about how all feelings are allowed and it's really about catching yourself in the moment like as you're amping up. I think this is totally, you know, as you said, emotional literacy, mindfulness literacy. Uh, but can you just clarify what the difference is between sort of that four step process you talked about, recognize your emotion, letting it come, labeling it, and then facilitating problem solving versus inhibiting the response? Yeah. Inhibiting the response would be telling our child something like calm down. Never in the history of telling a child to calm down has that ever been successful. Right. It's more about recognizing that your child is having a big emotion, labeling it. So wow, your fists are clenched right now. You're stomping your feet. Your voice is getting louder. It looks like you're angry. So actually putting words to, you know, describe what you're observing. How are you coming to the conclusion that you think that you think your child is angry? It's because they're clenching their fists, they're stomping their feet, their voice is loud. So you're kind of labeling what you see to help your child notice those things in themselves. And then you're putting an emotion to it. And you might be wrong and they'll correct you and that's okay. But then you can say something like, it's okay to be angry. You could say, what do you need from me? And they could let you know if you've, you know, ahead of time prepped what some of their skills or strategies are for when they get angry. That might be a time where you have to set a limit. So if their anger is getting to a point where it's not safe for themselves or others, maybe that's when you say, it's okay to be angry. It's not okay to throw toys, whatever is going on. And then again, once the emotions have kind of calmed down, that's when you can do some problem solving about how could you have handled it differently? What can we do it? What can we do differently next time? Yeah. And something that I 
really work on a lot in language therapy with parents is the idea of modeling this in ourselves as parents. And so like, for example, you know, I go to pull something out of the refrigerator. Well, let me back up. My six-year-old is, has really big feelings and she is one of those kids that will go like zero to 60 really fast. And I clinically would always call that like a low frustration tolerance, you know, but seeing it in your own child, it's really difficult. And so let's say I pull something out of the fridge and the thing I was going to make for dinner is not defrosted yet. And normally I would probably just problem solve that in my own mind and not even mention it to my six-year-old. But I'm trying to really make a point now to engage her in that and be like, oh, I'm so disappointed. I was going to make this chicken and I have everything ready, but the chicken is not defrosted enough and we're going to run out of time. Okay. So what can I do? And I problem solve that out loud. And I work with parents on this all the time because we're, as parents, we're natural problem solvers. That's our job, right? And we do it almost without thinking about it. But really when it comes to emotion, coaching to a huge piece is is modeling and showing ourselves doing that and being successful. But I think a lot of us grew up in a home where maybe their parents didn't show as much emotion or maybe they didn't show it in healthy ways. And so we might hesitate to show our feelings or problem solve out loud. And that's been a huge growing thing for me. You know, I teach parents this all the time and then doing it myself is harder. But I think that can be really helpful too, because we are asking a lot of our kids to take a breath and think about the choices. One other thing we did actually, after talking with Lori and Mallory, we made a list of some ideas for my daughter that she can choose from. So kind of what Mallory said, like, do you need to listen to chill out music? Do you need to go jump on your trampoline? Do you need, sometimes she has like a gymnastics bar. And I think sometimes if we just tell them like, go calm down, that's not enough. It's almost like, let's figure out a choice. What, what do you want to do? And she can see, you know, the different options. And that, that seems to be really helpful for her. Yeah. Cause then, I mean, if the child is listening to you narrate your emotional response and then realize that you have choices to go through, then eventually they will be able to process through and pick their own choice on how they're going to calm down without you having to lay out a menu. I think that's fantastic. And kind of going off of what Katie said as well, another benefit of this is it helps normalize emotions for your child. For young kids, sometimes it can feel like they're the only ones that feel that way. They're the only ones that get this mad. They're the only ones that get uncomfortable and, and they can't even put words to their feelings sometimes. But when they see a grown up experiencing it too and handling it well, it makes those scary, ambiguous emotions. Again, it, it makes it so that all feelings are allowed. It makes them okay. And they can see that there's a light at the end of the tunnel that even though I'm feeling this way right now, I know that I can, I can feel better. So that's another really important piece as parents ourselves showing our own emotions, modeling our own emotions makes them less scary for our children. Yeah, I love that. That notion about normalizing emotions. I mean, I say this a lot. It's okay to have big feelings, but you always come back to neutral. Whether it's a really, really happy feeling, you come back to neutral. Or maybe it's a not so happy feeling, then eventually you'll come back to neutral. And so what a powerful tool for kids to learn at a young age, you know? Another tool that some families have found helpful is that when their child is kind of on their way to escalating, so they're starting to get frustrated, you're noticing those early signs of anger or frustration or whatever it is, they come up with a code word 
And that is their cue to their child that like, hey, I see that you're getting upset or you're getting angry before they've broken some kind of household rule or harmed someone. We catch them in those early phases of escalating and we use this code word, whatever the code word is, cupcake, you know, it can be silly. And that's the parent's cue to the child that I see that this is escalating and let's use some of your strategies. Because for some children and a lot of children with ADHD, the more we talk in the moment, the more we escalate. If we're trying to reason with them, talk them out of their feeling, trying to fix it right away, that can sometimes escalate the big emotion. So by using as few words as possible, and it's fun for kids if we use like this code word that's kind of secret between them and their parents, which is the cue to them, like you're getting upset and you need to do something about it. A lot of families have found success in the code word strategy. Make sure to save the day for two fun events in 2021 in partnership with the Final Third Foundation Mindful Literacy Columbus presents 2021 Summer Writing Camp. Kids entering third to seventh grade will have the opportunity to be a part of this investive writing camp. Save the date for this week of August 8th. Email Megan at mindfulliteracypractice.org for more information. Make sure to mention that you heard about this camp from the podcast and enter a drawing to win 50% of the camp tuition. First Annual Mindful Literacy Columbus Conference for Kids and Their Grown-Ups. After this conclusion of the writing camp, we will hold a community celebration. This will include kids showcasing their work, art, music, yoga, food, and high-quality professional presentations for both teachers and parents. Teachers will have the opportunity to learn CEUs. The conference, which will be held on Saturday, August 15th, 2021, will serve as a fundraiser for a non-profit organization. We will also currently accepting presentation proposals from teachers and professionals in the community. Please email Stacey, S-T-A-C-E-Y, at Stacey at mindfulliteracypractice.org. To receive more information about the conference and or the submit of a presentation proposal. So I have a question about your course. Does the course gear itself toward parents who have younger children? Or can you talk about the range of ages that these strategies could apply to? Yeah, so the course is designed for parents of kids who are around age 4 to 11. And a lot of the strategies and things that we talk about are based on science and research. And the research has really shown that parent behavior interventions, which is a lot of stuff that we teach in the course, are most effective kind of for that age range. So a lot of things that we teach and we give different examples again, and we give like printable types thing types of resources that parents can use, it can all be adapted based on your child's age. Um, so some things we might use more visuals when we're doing schedules for younger kids, it might look a little bit different for an older child. So yeah, that's kind of the age range that we focus on. What does the course look like? Like in terms of how it's laid out, how much time investment would it take for a parent to go through the different modules? 
So the course is designed right now to be a six-week course. So each week you will get another module, and they're designed in a way that allows them to build on one another. So we actually start with some real basic things about ADHD and the science, and then we quickly go into a lot of the topics we've sort of shared about today with building connection with your child. And that's really important because that's kind of like the foundation for the rest of the course. And we do have a module on executive functioning and a lot of really concrete tools that we just sort of high level mentioned today. And then we do have a module all about behavior. We don't want parents to jump to that module because we, again, we really want to start with some connection and a lot of like really building that parent-child relationship and the executive functioning tools. And then the behavior piece can kind of come like if there's continuing behaviors that are really problematic, we do address those. And then we also have a section on emotion regulation, emotion coaching, and a system that families can actually implement with visuals to help with that emotional piece. So as you can imagine, I mean, it's, I would say, Each week, listening to and watching the modules would probably take between 30 minutes to 45, maybe an hour for the longer ones. And then we do have little assignments or like tasks that parents can do. And those are designed specifically to make sure that they are able to implement all the different pieces. So there's actually a workbook that comes with the course. It's about 80 pages and each module has its own associated pages to help parents. So we recommend that they spend I don't know, what would you guys say? Maybe like 15 to 20 minutes a day implementing things. And our goal is to make it really stepwise motion. Like we don't want it to be overwhelming. And that's why we're just giving the one module a week. We've talked about the idea of just releasing the whole course all at once, but it would be a lot for someone to, it's not something you would probably want to like binge watch in a weekend because it's just a lot of information and it's really a lot of actionable steps that parents can take so that we felt like you would get the most out of it if you did it each week. Yeah. It sounds like you had like really tapping into executive functioning, (laughs) you know, you learn something and then you get a chance to practice it and then add that to your toolkit, whether that was applicable to you that week or not, you have it in your toolkit for when you need it, you know? Absolutely. Yes, that's huge. And we just didn't, we don't want families to be overwhelmed because really each of the steps that they take is going to bring them closer to a calmer home and more connection. And so we just felt like the more we can break it down, (laughs) just like you said, executive functioning, we're, we're chunking the task to make it just a little bit easier to implement. And then that way they also have weekly check-ins through the emails. And we're obviously continuing to blog and give more data and information for people too. So Hopefully they they have a lot of support in that way. Let's say they watch a module, they implement a strategy they learned, they have a question so they can email you and get almost like coaching. No, so we don't offer coaching as part of the course. We are treating the course more educationally. It's not like therapy. So they themselves wouldn't have like specific goals that they're working on, but we do send out weekly emails to the people who are enrolled in the course, checking in and highlighting some of the most important things for that week. And then also some tips like for potential 
pitfalls of that module. So in this module, the main thing we want you to get is X, Y, or Z, just to kind of help encourage them and keep them on track. But we are not offering coaching right now for a variety of reasons, but we're all licensed in the state of Arizona only. So that's a huge piece of it. So this is more educational rather than therapeutic in nature. Yeah. And the benefit of, you know, we kind of did an online course versus something like a book is that we can actually, and we have within the modules, like actual videos of parents implementing the strategies. So it's a little bit different than just reading about it. You can actually watch what is the strategy look like in real life when you're using it. Um, So we can teach and model those things for parents. And one of the modules that I do on trying to understand specific behaviors. So again, we try and focus our, you know, time in the beginning on on the front end on prevention with connection and developing like clear behavioral expectations, developing routines and all these things to prevent behaviors. But if you have lying or stealing or all massive meltdowns that you just don't know how to handle, we give you a system for how to problem solve that. And we can actually teach through, we have video examples. So we have parents work through that. And then we coach them afterwards within those videos. What were the behaviors? What type of a plan would be helpful? This is what we would recommend. What did you come up with? Um, So it's a different way to teach information. And it's a lot more hands-on and it's a lot more practical than a book. It's, you're really focused on developing those skills and working throughout those weeks. It's not just reading about information, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like that people have the chance to go really deep and analyze specific situations and apply what they're learning, which is, which is fantastic. Yeah. And the feedback that we've gotten so far from the course that I think almost resonates with people more is just the empathy and the understanding that they have that it's not their fault and it's not their kid's fault. And these are, there's a reason why their kids struggle in these different areas and giving them examples to realize like we've worked with tons of families over the years with these same challenges. You're not alone. And again, it's not because of your parenting. It's just that your child needs different techniques and it's not natural for most parents to parent that way. I feel like even if you have a child who doesn't have a disability, parenting is hard in that way. And so, yeah, I can imagine like, yeah, it does feel good to have a tribe. Yes, for sure. We have peached in child psychology and I, you know, we still joke around and my husband will be like, yeah, it'd be really nice if we had a behavior specialist in the house who could deal with this <laughs> problem that comes up. And again, we struggle with these things with our own kids. And a lot of these strategies we talk about in the course, we use with our own kids. Now, could we get away with not using them and things would still run okay? Sure. But they run a lot smoother when we use these strategies too. And if you have a child with ADHD, if you're not using them, it's going to be really, really hard. Yeah. Well, I am really looking forward to checking out this course at some point. I we, you you know, I'm laughing because part of my PhD was in an applied behavior analysis program. And I, my my husband and I have the same joke, like, oh, whose kid's behaving the worst? The 
the one with the parent with the ABA degree. <laughs> right. Of course. At any rate, our one of our children is um, has been recently diagnosed with ADHD, and I am the first to admit on every subject matter, I don't know everything there is to know, and I'm constantly learning. So I'm looking forward to learning from you guys. Yeah, and we've all. It's so cool because we all of us have learned. I think through the process of making this course, like. Katie's background is in language and social stuff and executive functioning. And so I've learned so much from her and Mallory has done so much work in therapy, working with families and all of her techniques that she uses. I've learned, you know, all these things from her. So it's been a growing process for all of us. Um, And I think that's what makes our course unique because we have so many different backgrounds and how we go about helping families. Um, So we've kind of integrated all of that within the online course. Yeah. And I can just tell too, from how you generate content on social media that you break it down in such a simplified and effective way. I mean, I, my kids are three, five, and nine. And so in the past year, they were, when they were two and four, I had two basically two toddlers. And so there were times when your content really helped, like it really helped me to say, okay, it's more to your level, lower your voice, (laughs) you know, because otherwise I'm like, Katie and I, I, you know, Katie, I'd be like way up, like, ah, (laughs) (laughs) you know, the visuals really helped me personally. So at any rate, I know you're all in Arizona, but Lori, are you, you're from central Ohio, aren't you? I am. I'm from Columbus, Ohio. And you're in Columbus, right? Yes. Yeah. Are you the only one from Columbus? Yeah, I grew up in Columbus and my husband and I both did. And we went to Ohio State for our undergrads. So yeah, it's awesome. And I was sobbing all week this week because we were hoping to go to Ohio for Christmas and it's not happening. And I've never been away from Ohio, Columbus over Christmas. And it's been really hard not seeing family. I love going there. So I know I my kids so wanted to see snow this year. And I'm like, it's going to be the one year that there's like a white Christmas. I know it. we're going to miss it. But I don't know, man. It's like a Southern California winter day here right now. <laughs> but I know. Like we just never know. put the uh, lights up on the cacti and <laughs> up some sun for the rest of us. <laughs> I know. I feel like the last three years we've been to Ohio, it's been like 40s and raining. (laughs) So you just never know. Yeah. Well, again, thank you so much for your time. I'm really grateful that you spent the time to talk with our audience today. And just it's been really nice to connect with you all as professionals and as moms. So thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Yeah. And if anybody wants to come join our community, we're on Instagram, uh, the Childhood Collective on Facebook, Childhood Collective, know the, and you can check out our website at thechildhoodcollective.com. Yes. I love getting your weekly emails. I flag them all. Awesome. <laughs> You're doing such a great job. You guys are killing it. So thank you for all of your energy and time you're putting out for us. Yeah, we have so many free resources too on the website. So people can check those out. Yes. Love it. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Mindful Literacy Podcast. May you be inspired, energized, and share this love with those in your care. We are also grateful to have you as a part of our community. 
If you are enjoying the content in this podcast, please share this with your friends and colleagues. Subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Please also take a moment to connect with us on Facebook, mindful.literacy.columbus, and on Instagram, mindful.literacy.cbus. We want to hear from you. What topics do you want to uncover next? Who is doing these amazing things on the field of education that we should be talking about in season three? Until next time, may you be happy, healthy, and at peace. Before we wrap things up, we want to mention one more way from anywhere in the world that you and your students can get involved with Mindful Literacy Columbus. For just $25 a month, you can become a patron member of Mindful Literacy Columbus. Yes, that's right. For less than the cost of a latte a week, you will become a champion for child literacy and you have the opportunity to give directly back to kids in two ways. First, dues enable staff to grant write, fundraise, and build organizational awareness. Second, patron members are invited to contribute monthly to our publishing house, Beehive Press. The books that your students will curate will then be sold to generate even more scholarship money for your students. Beehive Press is an imprint of Mindful Literacy Columbus. Here is what patron members will get for their $25 per month. Submit one book by Kids for Kids for Beehive Press per month. Receive video lesson plans on how to engage kids in the writing process and PDF graphic organizers to help with the pre-writing process. Includes help with book layout, one-to-one final editing session, marketing, sales, and logistics of the book. Receive the proof of the book for free. Includes copyright and ISBN number. Each published book that is sold gives back to MLC. 50% goes to scholarships, 50% goes to authors. To become a patron member, go to mindfulliteracypractice.org slash donate.